limits. We talked about how our limitations as creatures are immensely frustrating to us because the reality of it is that our smarts can only take us so far. Now, for good reason, we want to use our minds to love the Lord and we want to push our minds. And education is a good thing, but so easily and so often we make education and we make the mind the answer to our brokenness. And it's not. And it can never be, the preacher laments. And remember who this is. This is Solomon whose wisdom was unparalleled. And he informs us that it's a dead end. I'm smarter than all y'all. And it was a dead end. Well, today, as we continue in our study of this book, Solomon's questions drive him from his own headspace, so to speak, from philosophical reflection, from intellectual pursuits, to his senses. To his senses. And for many of us, for a lot of us, boy, that's more relatable, right? Don't talk about all that stuff up there that I can't see. Talk about what I can feel, what I can see, what I can taste, what I can touch. And the preacher says, all right, here we go. I'm searching for the meaning of life, and today's test is the test of of pleasure. This is a test that Solomon took that he gave himself some 3,000 years ago. But it couldn't be more applicable to us today. Nothing's changed. And so listen as I read. We're going to jump a little bit in the second chapter, we looked at the heart of chapter 2, 12 through 17. So we're going to skip that part And I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then 18 through 26. Listen as I read. The preacher says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master for all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Let the good times roll. Girls just want to have fun. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. You all know that I love music, and these are various lines from the music catalog of our generation. And to some degree, to a large degree, these lines, Jimmy Buffett, thank you, Cheryl Crow, thank you, to some degree, these lines define our American outlook on life. We're blessed to live in a country created for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The problem is, do we really know what happiness is? Do we know how to be truly happy? Are our priorities showing that? Well, there are two truths I think that the Lord challenges us with this morning out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Two truths that I want us to think about and meditate on and remind us of this morning. And the first one is this. Pleasures without God are empty cisterns. Pleasures without God are empty cisterns. 
That's the basic conclusion of the preacher here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That's the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture. Try as you might, the things of this world can only take you so far. Now the word cistern, I recognize kids, you're like, what is a cistern? It's not a word that we use a whole lot. A cistern is simply like a tank for for storing water. Think of a big bucket or a big tank that you would put liquid in. I use that word because it's a picture that we get straight from Scripture. In another place, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, one of these great verses that I love, the Lord says to His people in Jeremiah 2.13, For My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is the reality of our existence. We are no different. We are tempted in the same way. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so the preacher wants to challenge us again on that. I don't know how many of you remember the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. Champagne wishes and caviar dreams. That was his tagline. As he took us in the, let's see, this is late 80s, mid late 80s, early 90s. I remember being fascinated as a, as a kid as, as he took us through these extravagant lifestyles of, of athletes and entertainers and, and business moguls, those who seemingly had it all. And every week he'd walk us through their lifestyles. Well, the preacher, Solomon of Ecclesiastes, he's his very own Robin Leach this morning. That's what he's doing. He's going to give us a tour of his own lifestyle. He's not on the outside looking in. No, he's given us a tour of his own place. His own reality of champagne dreams and caviar wishes. And there are five stops on this tour. And the first stop is, we're going to call it the comedy club. Solomon says, come. Come see my comedy club. Verses 2, 3, and 8. I said of laughter, it is mad. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine and how to lay hold of folly. I got singers, both men and women. You see, the comedy club is the place you go when you just need to unwind. You've worked hard all day. Now it's time for some jokes at night. A little laughter lubricated by some alcohol. Throw in some live music as well. That is the life. And the preacher says, I got it. Welcome to my comedy club. The preacher's not saying that these things are inherently evil. Let me just say that up front. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to weep. The Scriptures say that wine gladdens the heart of man. We'll we'll get more to that in a moment. 
But have you ever known someone? Have you ever known someone in your life that you just you can't get to know them because everything is lighthearted? Everything's a joke to them. You try to have a serious conversation and you just can't get below the surface. I've known people like that in my life. And you can't have a relationship built upon jokes. Laughter in our day is so often and so easily a mask for what's really underneath. As Proverbs 14.13 says, even in laughter the heart may ache. Laughter is good, but it's not ultimate. It can distract. It can drown out our life. And frankly, life is not a comedy. Life's a drama. Now, life's a drama with much-needed, light-hearted moments at times, no doubt, but eventually the laughing's got to end and we've got to think about the weighty matters of life. And yet, think about the place of these things in our culture. The power of comedy. The godlike status of those in the music industry. The intense marketing of alcohol as being a prerequisite necessary for a good time. It's alive today as much as it was when Solomon wrote these words and drank deeply of all that the comedy club had to offer. Do we really think that our results will be any different than his? No, pleasures without God are only empty cisterns. Well, you've seen my comedy club, the preacher says, one of my investment properties. Let me take you now to my, my place, my, my property. In fact, I've thrown you a party. I've thrown you a, a garden party of sorts. Solomon takes us on stage two of his lifestyle tour. The only way for us to really think rightly about this is Solomon is seeking or has sought to in some way restore the garden. To restore the Garden of Eden. And he says, look at my property. i got vineyards of delectable grapes. I've got pools everywhere. Some to refresh yourself on a hot summer day. Some to provide a habitat for those exotic fish. There are orchards of fruit. There are flowers from all regions of the world. There are hedges trimmed into all sorts of shapes. When I read Ecclesiastes 2 and I see the vision of the garden that he portrays, I, I can't help but think of the Garden of Versailles. A place that Anne and I visited years ago. If you've ever been to the Garden of Versailles outside of Paris, it's amazing. Over 1,900 acres of trees and bushes and fountains. Well, Solomon's property is the Garden of Versailles on steroids. He's got it all. Surely, with this kind of property, happiness resides. Of course, in order to have all this stuff, you've got to have a 
You've got to have some resources. And so he says, you've seen my garden. Come look at my storehouse. This vault of silver and gold and jewels. Now here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon's actually quite modest about what he says is in his storehouse. But 1 Kings 10, verses 14 and following, I'll just read some of it. Fleshes it out. He says, or the writer says, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents. One talent is about 75 pounds of gold. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. None were of silver. Because silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. You see, for the preacher, money is no object. Very few people in the history of the world have been able to say that, and Solomon is one of them. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So I've shown you my prop, I've shown you my comedy club, I've shown you my property, you've seen a little bit of my storehouse and my bank account. Let me take you in the main residence. And as Solomon takes us in his main residence in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, no doubt the house is probably impressive, but he doesn't want us to know anything about the architecture of the house or the size of the house. He just wants us to know who lives there and what they're there to do. You see, there are servants in the kitchen ready to cook. There are live musicians in the living room ready to soothe him. And there are 700 wives and 300 concubines in their various bedrooms ready to spend the night with this man. And our world says, this is it. I mean, this guy has arrived. And he says it's all empty. Even the work, even the work that got me here. In a moment of self-reflection in verse 18, the preacher recognizes, as it's been said before, there will be no U-Haul behind his hearse. It will all stay. And not only will his stuff stay on earth, but he will lose complete control of it. And it will simply fall into the lap of whoever comes after him. Pleasures without God are empty cisterns. It's a depressing end to the lifestyle tour of Solomon the rich and famous. But it's for us this morning because these are not ancient things. These are things that assault us. These are the idols of our own hearts. These are the idols of our own world. These are the things that say, it's all about you. It's all about you. I mean, you see in Ecclesiastes 2, this is, this is one of the problems with Solomon's tour. Is this isn't some philanthropic endeavor where he's opening up his garden for the uh, Jerusalem Botany Club to facilitate 
botany in the town. No, no, this is all for Him. I myself did these things. For me. It's all about me, myself, and I, and no one else. And you and I know, friends, that living in the most prosperous nation on planet Earth, in one of the most comfortable times in the history of man, that our pursuits are often no different. And the result is so easily the same. Are we happier because we have more stuff? Are we happier because we're more comfortable? No, we're empty. So what's the answer? So what's the answer? I mean, Solomon clearly gives us the problem. He takes us on this grand tour. We get it. You're a rich guy. We get it. It's empty. But now what? Well, some have concluded that it's asceticism. That's the answer. We just need to deny ourselves all these things. We need to go without them. We need to forget about this place and fix our eyes on heaven to the extent that we are no earthly good. So we don't ever enjoy a glass of wine. Life is too serious for a laugh. And it's too short for parties. Is that the answer? Let me say this. There may be a time for this. I don't know if you remember, but George W. Bush, I remember seeing an interview, when we were involved in the Iraq War, he gave up his love for golf. He never golfed during the Iraq War. And they asked him about it one time. Why? Why don't you golf? And he says, because I don't want ever for a mother of a fallen soldier while she is mourning the death of her son or daughter to see me playing golf on a golf course. Wow. I thought that was wise. That's strong Leadership. There is a time for dying to self. Clearly, Jesus says that. But I don't think that that's simply what we're called to by passages like Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The pleasures of this world are not opposed to God. They are from God. Therefore, I think what first needs to happen is that we need to recognize that we by ourselves, we innately don't have the ability to enjoy the things around us. Our finite orientation just isn't enough. We are creatures. We are made for another in the image of another. And so the answer to the fact that pleasures without God are empty, are empty cisterns, the answer is perspective. The kind of perspective that the preacher states here in our passage in verses 24 and 25. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, 
who can eat or who can have enjoyment. It's really the first positive statement we've heard from the preacher in this book. And it leads us to the second truth that I want us to think about this morning. Pleasures in God are gifts and channels. Pleasures in God are gifts and channels. Now everyone in this room loves receiving gifts. But I'm going to bet that gifts received anonymously are different than gifts that you know who gave you whatever. Think about it. Gifts received anonymously immediately become self-centered. There's nowhere else to go. They immediately become about me and about the joy I'm receiving and about the fulfillment I'm having. And in contrast, gifts that I receive or you receive from someone else, they have a context. They have a focus. They have a focus for gratitude and they reveal something about the person that gave you that gift. Therefore, the focus becomes the giver and then extends to us. Then extends to our joy. And friends, I think that's what the preacher is encouraging us to do. To actually gain joy from the stuff of earth. And to do that, we need to first recognize that the sweetness of a glass of wine, the beauty of a well-crafted melody, is a gift, where? From the hand of God. Pleasures are gifts from God. I mean, simply put, God the Father gives good gifts to His children because He loves us. He loves you. He didn't have to make honey sweet. He didn't have to make hummingbirds shimmer, but He did. Because He knew it would bring Him joy and that it would bring us joy. And that by us receiving joy, His joy exists. So the writer, the preacher, Solomon is telling us, pleasures in God are gifts. Therefore, receive them with gratitude. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And then 1 Timothy 4.1-5, really the latter half of the passage where he says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And so don't feel guilty about the pleasures in this life that you enjoy. But recognize who gave them to you and why He gave them to you. And what He wants you to experience through them. Pleasures in God are gifts from a loving Father. And they're gifts not just to to hold on to, but gifts to give and to be generous with. Some of the wealthiest people I know are also the most generous people I know. And in contrast to Solomon's experiment here, 
I made vineyards for myself. I did this for myself. I did this for me. No, we receive, we enjoy, and we give. But not only that, pleasures are also channels to the Father. And what do I mean by that? I mean they point us to God. They reveal God to us. Several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. They do. Go outside. The heavens declare His glory. But so do pumpkin spice lattes. Not in an irreverent way, but in a beautiful way. One author writes on this, and he says, the sunrise is not just a sunrise. It's a word. It has meaning, intent, communicative content. It bears a message. And so do clouds and laughter and pearls and chairs and soda. You see, the gifts from a Heavenly Father reveal something about Him. And once we are pointed to Him, then what do we want to do? Yeah, we want to be grateful. We want to be generous. But we want to worship. We want to worship. We began this morning with Psalm 104. We read it. We sang it. It's much longer than those words that we sang, but at the end of the song, I think this was actually part of our call to worship, he writes in verse 34 of Psalm 104, May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. After going through all this display of creation, all the works of His hand, all the beauty of what He has made, He says, I rejoice in the Lord. In other words, the psalmist just isn't rejoicing in something abstract, something apart from God that God has made. He is rejoicing in the fact that God is all over these things. That they can't be separated one from another. Let me read another quote. Created glory mediates divine glory so that when we chase pleasures, this writer was equating the, uh, the, beam, of a, the beam of a ray of sunlight coming through a barn and, and just you can see the beam coming. And he says, when we chase pleasures up the beam to the source, we arrive at the joy of joys, the river of delights, the person of persons, the living God and Father of Jesus Christ. And that's the point. You see, by enabling ourselves to see pleasure not as an end in and of itself, but merely as a pointer to something greater, we can actually enjoy pleasures. Because their purpose is defined rather than exaggerated. And what is exaggerated is the one behind them. The giver of all good things. The fountain of living waters, Jeremiah 2.13 says. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, He told her, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of Himself, this water, the water that I give, he who drinks of that water will never be thirsty again. So in the midst of the vanity of life, 
and the passing of pleasures. We know this, brothers and sisters, if we drink of Jesus, whether in pleasure or in pain, we can be satisfied. We can be filled. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We confess the pull of our own hearts, how easily they drift and wander to places that we know are not going to make us whole. Places that we know are not going to fill us and satisfy our souls. So may we, as the preacher, as Solomon, your servant, reminds us, may we recognize the fleeting nature of the things of this earth, but may we see them as we should see them. That even the way we relate to the things around us would be evident to those who don't, net, who don't yet know You. That they might see how our hope is not in this. Though we may enjoy it, there's something greater. Oh Father, align our hearts. Change our perspectives for our own good and for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.